back to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined this week just by Adam. Um, took a week off last week due to some, um, you know, so, some uh, personal things, but we're back this week. And unfortunately, as we come back, it is probably one of the more dire times in Everton and, and probably one of the most dire times since we've started doing this podcast for Everton as a whole. Uh, but before we get into all of that, Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm tired. I'm tired because I didn't sleep well last night, and I'm tired because I know what the next 45 minutes are going to be like, and and it's it's not going to be pretty, Gino. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, it's it's not. There's really uh, <laughs> no for for you guys out there. Typically, we do a rundown, and and we kind of like to break down certain things, but there's just so much to talk about here. Uh, we're just kind of be, going to be candid here and kind of talk about all of that has gone on. Um, we're recording today, Wednesday, January 8th, um, at about, you know, 6.20 Eastern time right now. Um, so a lot has happened over the past few days since Liverpool. Before we get into where we currently are, let's talk about the past. Let's talk about where it all started. Let's talk about Liverpool. Um, I did not watch all of this game. So I uh, good I, for you. And good that's what, for that's you. What I've heard that is what I've heard. Um, but Adam, initial thoughts. Let's just start from the very base. What were your initial thoughts on this game? Well, it's it's interesting because I think in all of the uh, to do in the aftermath of what was eventually a one nil loss. A lot of people have forgotten that Everton could have been up two or three nil at the end of the first half. Yeah. And, and I don't think you could have really argued it would have been an unfair scoreline. Um, obviously Liverpool played a, a very young, uh, first 11 with, with the exception of a, a couple of first team, uh, players, uh, Divac Origi, uh, James Milner, uh, Adam Lallana, but, and then Milner went off hurt, uh, but, but mostly, you know, youth. And and it was an opportunity for Everton to to come out and and beat finally beat Liverpool at Anfield, and they Liverpool came out and basically played the same way they always play. Um, you know they they played a high press and their center backs were Joe Gomez, who is maybe the most overrated player in all of England, and. Uh, Nathaniel Phillips, and I'll be darned if I knew who Nathaniel Phillips was until I just clicked on his name in Google right now. Um, so, so Everton came, came back and countered by just playing long balls over the top. And Liverpool, it was between their lack of pace and just the youth in, in their defensive court just didn't have an answer. Uh, for for long balls over the top to Richarlison, to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and to Theo Walcott. And despite the fact that Everton was out-possessed pretty handily in the first half, uh, they had easily the better chances, and, and Dom probably should have had one, and Richarlison probably should have had one too. Uh, and, and so we, we look at kind of the the dichotomy between the halves and and so much focus has been on the second half that I think it's important to remember what the first half looked like before 
we get into everything going to shit in the second half. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you you got it right there. I mean, the first half, things were things were going well for Everton. Um, obviously, going into this game, it was a double-edged sword in the sense mm-hmm. that whether we beat them or not, there was no real – I don't know if you can get any real I, – I don't know how to put it, but any real pleasure out of it because in the end – if we won the game, all the Liverpool fans would have mentioned was the fact that they played a bunch of kids, and it was a game mm-hmm. we should have won. Yeah. Being that we lost the game, it's even worse. We lost the game against a bunch of kids who Liverpool didn't even play um, really any of their – I don't think any of their starting lineup. Um, yeah, and I mean even even the, the senior players who they started, you know, Takumi, Origi, Lalana, Milner – uh, and Adrian, none of them are, are regular starters. I mean, yeah. those are guys who, you know, it was obviously Takumi's debut, but I mean, you wouldn't expect him to break into their first 11 either. That's, that's basically their bench. We played five, five senior players off their bench and a youth squad. Uh, yeah. six senior players, excuse me. Joe Gomez is technically a, a senior player at, at, at 22 based on the experience that he's had, even though he's terrible and everyone pretends he's not, yeah. he's not the point. Uh, oh, yeah. that's yeah. Joe Gomez is what we thought Mason Holgate was before Mason Holgate decided to be good this year. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, either way you, you mentioned it. it. I mean, Nathaniel Phillips and Joe Gomez, you would expect that our players would be able to get in behind them and we would have, you know, a field that we would be. And, 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 and they did. Half, we did. They, they the did. They half, absolutely yeah. did in the first half. They had the exactly the field day that you would have expected. Um, you know, I, I think Milner would have played an important role had he not come off injured. Um, this uh, Yasser LaRucci, who came on for Milner, was entirely overmatched. It was very clear from the moment he came on the field why James Milner had started ahead of him because Theo Walcott was just every ball – that went down the Liverpool left, the Everton right. Walcott was beating him to every single time. Uh, and, and it was, it was so straightforward that you figured at halftime, it's only a matter of time before the breakthrough comes. And then yeah. we came out in the second half and Carlo Ancelotti decided that we were going to play a completely different style. We were going to try to pl- play out of the back against the Liverpool press. Uh, for reasons that I can't even begin to hope to comprehend. Um, at, at that point, he had kind of switched to a, a more traditional 4-4-2 from the, the back three that we had seen, uh, which, which took Sidibe kind of out, uh, out of the, the passing out of the back role. So it really primarily fell on, on Mason Holgate and Yeri Mina to work the ball up through Gilfie Sigurdsson and, and Morgan Schneiderlin, and you can just, saying the words in that order, you can yeah. hear the problem. Um, and I, I also would like for it to be the case that Everton Football Club have the talent to play that style against a Liverpool B-team youth team. I would like for that to be the case, and and I know Carlo Ancelotti would be like for that to be the case. I'm sure Marcel Brands would like to be the, that to be the case. I know all of our listeners would like for that to be the case. But the reality is that with no Andre Gomez, with no Jean-Philippe Gabamon, 
um, with uh, Fabian Delph starting on the bench in this game with no Alex Iwobi available. That's just not, it just wasn't realistic. It just wasn't happening. And instead of altering course after the first five or 10 minutes where Everton were getting played off the pitch by these kids, if anything, Ancelotti just doubled down on playing out of the back. And it was turnover after turnover. We couldn't get the ball into the attacking third. And and what was even more frustrating was on the rare occasion that, that Holgate or Mina or somebody at the back just said, you know, screw it. I'm just hoofing this up the field just to get rid of it. Usually an Everton player was getting onto it or at least generating a, a little bit of danger, a little bit of uh, counter pressure on the Liverpool back line that at least released the pressure on Everton and, and occasionally did lead to a pretty good chance. So I, I, you know, I don't buy the concept that, that Liverpool did something in the second half to alter what Everton had to do compared to the first, because when Everton did what they did in the first half, they were relatively successful in the second half as well. They just did it about 5% of the time. And, and, you know, eventually credit, uh, credit to, to Curtis Jones, who, I mean, you know, that's an absolute worldly of a goal, uh, taking nothing away from him. Uh, but it, it was coming. Uh, by the time Liverpool scored, you knew that goal was going to come. You didn't necessarily know it was going to come in as spectacular fashion as it did. Um, but but it, it, at that point, it really only felt like there was one winner and, and it was going to be Liverpool. And it was. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me to a, a point uh, speaking about the goal. Um, it seems that, you know, among the masses, Jordan Pickford has gotten a lot of slack, even for that goal, which, again, like you said, I thought as well was a fantastic goal. What is your opinion right now of Jordan Pickford and his play? And do you think that the slack that he's getting from the fans is deserved or undeserved? Um, I certainly don't think um, on on that play. Uh, that there's anything that he's going to do. Um, the the analytics crowd has him at a, a little below average uh, in terms of shot saving uh, on the season this year. That has always, to me, been a dangerous venture when we start talking about um, goals conceded above or below expected value. Um, yeah. I, it's just too new a science for me to have any total faith that, uh, that the numbers that, that come out of that are something to really, really wedge yourself to. And when you're talking about a guy, you know, if you're looking at like, uh, David De Gea's numbers this year, who, which are way below what, what he has been the last few years in his career, then you say, okay, uh, there's something to that. Uh, Pickford is is close enough to the kind of the the league average uh, that I'm not I'm not too too bothered by what the numbers say and the eye test tells you he's been fine um, he hasn't been great and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't contend that um, but it's also been the case that Everton's concession of chances this season has usually been big ones. Um, it's either simple saves or it's ones where guys are getting tap-ins or it's, you know, some kind of worldly like, uh, like Curtis Jones scored. Um, this is not a team that has tended to give up 
a lot of chances that have allowed Pickford to have a match where he makes, you know, seven or eight big saves because that's just not what what this team has conceded on the whole this year. So do I am I concerned about Pickford? No, no, not not really. Uh, I don't don't think that there's a whole lot to that. I think that obviously the the masses have been out with their their pitchforks and their torches just kind of looking for a scapegoat. And obviously the goalie is always an easy target. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm with you. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I, I understand the, the Pickford hate right now. I think he's been relatively played, played relatively well. Um, I, I think, you know, it's hard. It, it, you know, I, like you said, the scapegoat is always the goalie, but look at the spine of our team, you know, mm-hmm. With ever since Gomesh went down, it's been Gilfie Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin, Fabian Delph, players that, I mean, quite frankly, I, I, I think we could both agree have not performed to the standards that we, I guess, would expect them to perform. Um, and, and I don't know how many of the center backs that we currently have on the roster that you trust. You know, yeah. I, I trust Yerry Mina. Um, do I trust Mason Holgate to go out there every day and be a solid center back? Not necessarily. You trust um, him sometimes and other yeah. times. I, 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 can't be, I can't be confident and say that Yerry Mina and Mason Holgate are going to go out there every day and be fantastic. I, I have er, learned, I have learned to trust Yerry Mina a little bit. Um, Mason Holgate, no, and, and obviously Michael Keane, who's been absolutely horrendous this season, which is correct. Um, you know, you wonder, uh, especially after last year, how, how he performed so well. Um, it's hard for me to put all of the blame on Pickford. And I don't think people are putting all of the blame on Pickford, but I think it seems like that because his name keeps coming up as, you know, someone who's, you know, obviously he doesn't help himself with going out and chugging beers and doing all this stuff. But in the midst of all that off the field stuff, what's he given up? Probably, I think the only game he's given up more than one goal has been the City game. Since, uh, Chelsea, since Duncan Ferguson took over. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, that he's might be wrong. Not, but... He's certainly not losing Everton games. Yes, uh, I, exactly. I think it is, I think it's fair to say that he's not going out and he's not winning Everton games, but he's certainly not losing Everton games either. Yes, exactly. And I, and, and I just think that, you know, well, yes, like you said, he's not losing Everton games. And I think that they're Everton and, and, as we'll get into in a little bit, there are more problems than Jordan Pickford's goalkeeping. And, and I think it, it rises well above that. And, and as we've found out over the past, you know, day, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems that's internally uh, that need to be figured out, but let's finish off um, Liverpool first, before we get into the state of the club. Um, your initial reaction after the game, not with everything that we've heard since the game, but right now after the game, what was your opinion on the match? Um, you've kind of given it a, a little bit um, already. We've talked about your initial reaction, of course, but did you feel that the players had not put in the effort and, and that they had, um, you know, kind of, I guess, packed it in and, and could have performed with more effort over the course of that second half there? Um, I wasn't really bothered by the effort. Um, 
the execution wasn't great, but again, we had players who I, I think most would admit are were not um, the sort of players that you'd like to have <laughs> in a in a big match like this one. Uh, being asked to do something that they weren't comfortable with. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, if, if I was to compare my, uh, aggravation to the manager, uh, with the manager to my aggravation with the players, uh, I mean, they're not even, they're not in the same galaxy. Um, I was so much more frustrated with Carlo Ancelotti than I was with the players, uh, because it was, it was a tactical, it, it was tactical malpractice that turned things in the second half much more than individual error. Let me rephrase that. That It was a tactical malpractice that led to individual errors that were predictable because a midfield, a a true midfield two, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Morgan Schneiderlin is not. And I shouldn't need to explain that. And and I don't think... That it's, and, and this, this kind of, I think, goes, goes into where we're headed. I don't think it's fair for folks, for supporters to be getting on guys like Schneiderlin, guys like Sigurdsson, who are being put in an impossible position. If, if anyone told you at the start of the season that we were going to play what turned out to, to be the biggest match of the year, because there, there are no more FA Cup matches now, um, and it was going to have to be with a 4-4-2 and a midfield of Gilfie Sigurdsson and Morgan Schneiderlin, they would have said, well, that seems bad. Well, yeah, because it's bad. That's not what you want to be doing. And the idea that we are now going to riot because these players didn't get the job done when Gilfie Sigurdsson is is not a, a, a true central midfielder at all, and Morgan Schneiderlin is really only effective if he's in a midfield three. Why? Why am I upset with those players for not being able to do something that I openly admit I wouldn't expect them to be able to do? Um, so I, I, I don't want to steal steal your thunder, Gino, but uh, no, to yeah. me, my initial reaction was much more anger with the manager than with the players. Um, and it's, it's made kind of what has happened in the days since, um, a little more confusing to me than, than maybe it has been to others. Do you think, and, and real quick before we'll get into the state of the club right, right after this, um, with the injuries that we have, based on what you're saying, we are made better when those players get back. And, and again, we, we assume that Jean-Philippe uh, Gabamon will be back soon. Um, and we also assume that he is good because we don't necessarily have the evidence to, to to say that with any confidence. But we'll assume for the yes, sake of argument that, yes, he's good. Okay. But would you say that due to some of the injuries, once these players get back, once these players get back into the club, um, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's system – or, you know, whatever, because it seems like this is how he has to play. Who knows how he is going to play when he has a full squad. Do you think that some of these problems that we've seen out there will be, um, you know, fixed just from the sheer fact of having more players that fit the certain roles that are, you know. Yeah, our, uh, you know, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think 
that I know, I'm positive, that Carlo Ancelotti does not want to be starting in any world, you know, uh, a, a midfield, either a midfield two of those two players or a midfield three with those two as the deep line. Uh, that's just not, not what he wants. Um, you yeah. know, the, the rumor is that he's willing to, to let Gilfie Sigurdsson go. Uh, but I mean, even if he was keeping Sigurdsson, he'd be playing him at a, at a 10 role, certainly not in the deep lying. And, and you'd really, if you were going to put, if you were going to put Gilfie Sigurdsson into the lineup at all on a fully healthy Everton team, it would be in a midfield three with him at the tip and Gomesh and Gabamin, uh, as, as the holding players behind him. And that's a completely different prospect. Now, yeah. whether or not Sigurdsson can be successful in that role either it, it is a different conversation and I you know and I acknowledge that 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 there have been problems with him in that role even when when supported better better than he was this week um but yeah I I, there's enough talent again if we operate under the assumption that Jean-Philippe Philippe Philippe is good let's he's not great he's good yeah he's he's 70% of the player that Adrissa Gay is fine yeah Uh, then you look at a team that's Pickford, Digne, uh, Holgate, Mina, Sidibe, uh, Gomish and Gabamin as the holding midfielders, uh, Iwobi or Sigurdsson as the 10, uh, Richarlison and one of Bernard and Walcott as the other winger, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top. Yeah, that, that seems like a pretty good team to me. Uh, is it, is it better than, Leicester or United or Tottenham. I don't know, but it's probably in the ballpark. Um, but that's just not the world that we live in right now. But I, I think that your, I think the, the point that, that you're kind of driving at and that I would agree with is, is that there does need to be some perspective here about the overall state of the club that these results which had been good up until, or at least respectable, a 2-1 loss against Manchester City uh, away from home is is not a, a bad loss. Yeah. Uh, you know, up up to this weekend, the results had been okay, and and they had been attained with a roster that I think everyone would agree is well below what it can be when it's healthy. So I, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Up until today, and, and this is we'll transition out of Everton into um, into kind of where we're at right now after everything that's happened after the Liverpool game, all the the, the um, shenanigans, nonsense, yeah, shithousery happened since. Um, up until today, I, I felt the same way in the sense that you know. It, it's hard to see where it's it's hard to see where it's coming from. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the hate up until today was misguided and mm-hmm. may not have been looking at the full picture like we've talked about. But just to recap what has happened since the Everton game or since the Liverpool game um and and add anything in if I miss it, Adam. Mm-hmm. Um players have been confronting other players or have been confronted by fans on Instagram and are responding. Um, yeah, that's, that's bad. That's, uh, and, and that I will, uh, to me, that's not a state of the club thing. That's just like a, if you're a professional athlete, just don't, 
Just yeah. just don't. And no. also, if you're a human being, don't. Don't don't be a dick online to people. Uh, professional oh, athletes yeah. have feelings too and don't do that. But knowing also, you know, it's a two-way street. If you're a professional athlete, don't go engaging with fans who are calling you shite uh, on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the hell uh, Fabian yeah. Delph is, is having a go at people on. Uh, anyway, continue. Um, so, yes, we've had problems with social media. Obviously, we've seen the – um, the fans come out and really it seemed like there's been a full turn of nobody likes any of the players anymore. Everybody seems to want to get rid of everybody but Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And, um, you know, everybody is, you know, saying Ancelotti is uh, – I saw a tweet today saying that Ancelotti was who who's they're back, they'd rather back Ancelotti than a lot of these players because, um, you know, Ancelotti's trying to make a difference. Yada, yada, yada. All this stuff, there's been constant back and forth. Um, the players haven't been handling it well, as we've just mentioned. And then yeah. today, the bombshell really drops, I think, um, when The Athletic came out with an article stating what happened Sunday um, when Duncan Ferguson confronted players about their lack of effort on the field um, and really just the game in general. Um and really just having a go with them about the game in general against Liverpool. Um, and this is where I, I started to feel more like, I guess, the masses in the sense that, you know, when these guys, these players, these, obviously Duncan Ferguson, when he came in, he, he commanded a lot of respect from, mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the players, it seemed like he had a real good grip on the, um, on the, on the dressing room when he was the interim manager. Um, and now these players are blaming it on, you know, it's, it's the sense of accountability and and accepting the fact that you just went out there no matter. And and yes, I get that the manager did not put them in the best situation possible to continue the success that they had in the first half. Um, but to blame the tactics, to blame the manager, to not take accountability for no matter what, still going out there and putting in a decent performance in the second half. Um, and then, you know, I can even understand if they were having a go at Ancelotti rather than Ferguson, but somebody, Ferguson, who is very well respected in the club, somebody who's, who's a legend in the club for them to be going at him and somebody who they seem to have respected not too long ago and, and now well, saying, you know, it's not their fault and all this stuff. That's where I had the problem. That's where I started to have the problem. And, and that's where we're at today after this disaster has now brought us to the height of Everton in the last probably five years. I, I, I also, you know, I, I want, I want there to be accountability amongst the players. Um, and I don't, I don't like the idea you know that a, a player is a, is ever going to come off and and say you know oh uh, we didn't we didn't win today uh, I couldn't have done any more we didn't win today because the the manager you know done goofed um, I, I I I don't I don't like that and I you know I I want to be clear about that but I, I my my feeling is that yeah. Dunk is going to have a go at them because that's the sort of guy that he is. Uh, and, and I get that. 
but the players were not wrong. They weren't. Factually, objectively speaking, Carlo gets his tactics wrong in the second half, and there is no way that that group of players could have succeeded with the way that he set the team up. Period. That's the end of the conversation. Now, I'm, I'm happy to talk about, you know, what, what is the proper reaction from those players to Duncan Ferguson in, in that situation? Fine. Do, do we want to say that they should have shown him more respect or what? I don't, I don't care. I, I don't, I don't care because at the end of the day, the players are right that they could not have done any more than what they did given the way that they were told to play in the second half. It, it just wasn't possible. Uh, and no amount of running or effort or any of those fucking buzzwords that we like to use when teams don't play very well are going to matter if you're passing into a six-man high press with fucking Mason Holgate and, and Morgan Schneiderlin at the heart of it. It's just not going to work. And, and the idea that that we should focus on the players being, uh, you know, having a go at not even the manager, the assistant manager, uh, an assistant coach who really, well, I'd much rather they have a go at at Big Dunk than have a go with the new boss. And certainly they're not going to do that. You know, these guys are surely frustrated because they could feel, I'm sure, the match slipping too. And these are all professionals. These are all guys that want to win the match. And yeah, so if somebody came at me at my job and said, hey, why didn't you do better? And I know that it's because my boss is an idiot or did something stupid. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be frustrated and I might lash out at that, at that, that person who came at me and said that because you know what? I busted my butt out there to do the best I could and I knew it wasn't going to be enough. So I, I get I get the frustration. I get the optics of it are bad. But at the end of the day, the players are right. And I don't know how much more about it you can say, uh, but that the players were right. This is on the manager, period. Um, yeah, and just to clarify, the first part of what you're saying and what you agree with, that was really what I was trying to get out there. Yeah. Um, really just not, you know, coming out and saying that type of stuff is not the type of attitude you, you, you want to hear from your players. My next question would be, if the stuff doesn't happen with Delph earlier in the week um, and all this back and forth between the players, mm-hmm. and if this is a game against let's, – let's answer that question first. If the stuff doesn't happen with Delph earlier in the week, do you think that this is as much of a issue among – the masses as it has been? Or do you think that the Delph stuff kind of escalated the the senses of the masses, the Everton fans, um, and, and when this thing dropped, it, it just kind of exploded into something that probably may it may have been bigger than, than it would have been if, you know, the player interaction wasn't the same way as it was um, this past week? Um, I, I certainly, uh, obviously, that the components have built upon each other since the loss. I still think this, even if, if the, the Instagram thing with Delph isn't ongoing, I still think this winds up being a big deal. Um, you know, a- a Everton supporters by and large are, are very, you know, hold Duncan Ferguson in, in very high regard. And I, I completely understand that. I do as well. 
Um, so I, I, I think that this would be a big deal no matter what, uh, because it, it's, it's a big loss and Dunk is a big character. Uh, I, I think is it as big a deal if not for some of the other stuff? No. But are you and I still sitting here and talking about it if this is the only kind of incident between uh, the match and today? Yeah, I, I think we still are. Yeah, I, I know. I, I think you're right on that. I think it, that it was probably blown up a little bit because of everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, and then my next question would be, um, I think you, you, me, Chris, um, I think we all feel that there have been other times where the tactics have been wrong. And who knows if those other times the players went back at the manager, mm-hmm. specifically in the Marco Silva era. Do you think that this is different if this isn't against a bunch of kids and it's against a full-strength Liverpool squad or just a full-strength Premier League squad in any situation? Do you think that because of the situation, because of of the embarrassment of losing to a you can't even say second kids. string squad because it's a bunch of kids it is literally a bunch of kids you can say you think it. that that plays into this factor of this becoming also again a bigger story um uh, my oh. personal opinion is yes and oh I'm absolutely it the same yeah yeah a hundred percent you know i i think if it's any other i think it well honestly i think if it's any other team uh, you know dunk is maybe not not digging at the players in the same way. I think the reaction from the players is different. I think even if it happened, I think the reaction from the supporters would be different. I mean, let's be real. This is a, a very unique situation in terms of, of what Everton faced going into the match. And, you know, it's, it's what we talked about in the open that this, this was a situation where they were damned if they do, damned if they don't, uh, because of, of the nature of playing your biggest rival when your biggest rival played a, B team and, and some children. Um, so yeah, I think that, that ends up ta- playing a huge role in, in what happens because I, I hate to say it, but I mean, we're used to losing to Liverpool. We're used to losing to Liverpool at Anfield. You know, n- n- neither you nor I have had a, a win at Anfield in, uh, in our time as Everton supporters. You know, there could be people listening who have not had an Everton win at Anfield in their lifetime. So we're accustomed to that. It it was the nature of the loss that kind of ratcheted everything up a little bit or a lot of it, perhaps. And I think we also have to mention um, Adam and I are from America. Mm -hmm. We don't live in Liverpool. We don't spend time with amongst the Liverpool fans. I don't mm-hmm. know any other Liverpool fans. Um, so we also have the luxury, I guess you could say, of not having to face that every day when you go to work, every day when you see somebody out in the street. Because in Liverpool, and this is where I can understand some of the mm-hmm. frustrations boiling over, you have to face that every day. And, and for those who are listening that may have lived in Liverpool no Liverpool fans who who are just ragging on them live in Liverpool now. We get that. I would, I, you know, I from a from an American's perspective, I lived in Connecticut, which is you know, as a New York Yankees fan, there's a lot of Boston Red Sox fans over there <laughs> from, a, from a baseball perspective. 
it's not easy. And it gets your frustrations high when they're doing all the winning and, and they're doing, you know, and, and your team just keeps losing to them or all this different stuff. And you have, I, I lived with a Boston fan for four years. And, and I think, I, I think that, that there is a key distinction and you're, you've, you've done well to, to bring it up that I, I think the level of displeasure and the level of outrage that has been raised since the the match ended is is not is not unfair. I I don't think that, and I, and I don't want any of my earlier comments to uh, to be construed that way. I think they're misdirected. Uh, I think, uh, well, no, I think Fabian Delph. Uh, getting into it with people on Instagram, uh, have a go at Fabian Delph. You, you can't be doing that, especially when you're supposed to be, you know, the experienced guy. Who's, yeah, when you're brought you know, in, who's supposed to know better. Yeah. Uh, when when a guy does that, uh, okay, you, you be outraged at him. That's fine. Um, my my frustration, I, I think, with the fan base has been that that the frustration has has been really just with the players and and not with the manager. And at, at kind of the, the whole, the bigger situation. And obviously I know Marcel Brands today or, or yesterday ended up having a, a whole, a whole thing with a group of supporters that, that came to the, came to Finch Farm. Um, and, and you know, he, he shoulders some of the blame at this point too. And I like Marcel Brands, but I mean, the product has been what it is. And, and Carlo Ancelotti has to shoulder a, a fair, fair, uh, chunk of the blame and obviously still the players some as well um so i i agree with you gino that it, it is it is easy for for us to say that the outrage has been overblown and i don't even think that i would say that um because i i hate lo- losing a liverpool too just because we're used to it doesn't you know doesn't mean that that we like it i still you know every time it, it hurts um but i i think the level of outrage is is not unreasonable. I think the direction of the outrage is what is what has confused and frustrated me. It's a key yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to make that clarification to you know because again we're not we don't live in Liverpool. We may not have the same feelings mm-hmm. that other that other fans may have, and and I don't want them to like you said. We don't want you to think that we don't understand your rage. We're just able to look at it from a different perspective. Due to the fact that we don't have to deal with that extracurricular stuff that many <laughs> Liverpool or Everton fans have to deal with. Um, moving forward, before we get into Brighton, real quick, mm-hmm. what happens next? What do you do? Do you is it time to say let's blow this thing up? Let's get rid of Gilfie Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin, try and get these. I mean, obviously, and this is another problem with the way things are structured, it's hard to get rid of these players because of how much we're paying them. Um, but what, what happens next for you? How does this club move on from this point? Well, uh, the, the first thing is, is that the athletic, uh, has reported today that, that Cenk Tosun is expected to move to Crystal Palace on loan for the rest of the season. Um, the, the bombshell in that for me was not so much that, Palace was going to take him, but that his, his wages are, you know, a hundred grand a week or, or more, um, which again speaks exactly to what you've just raised, that it's, it's hard to move players when you're paying them, you know, in six figures a week. Um, so I think, I think, Cenk, also. 
Yeah, obviously. I think Shank's gotten kind of a raw deal, but at this point, uh, you know, you cut your losses. Obviously, Ancelotti doesn't doesn't rate him. He hasn't played since Ancelotti's um, come in, so uh, you know that's fine. Uh, again, you, you you'd like to move Schneiderlin and uh, pro- if you would like to move Schneiderlin and Sigurdsson at this point, I'm I'm just not sure that you can. Just based purely on the number of bodies that you have in in the midfield now, maybe Dennis uh, Dernanen, maybe Benny Benigami, please Benny Benigami, you know, get calls into the senior team, and and that's how we make up the numbers in the midfield if some of those guys go. Um, I don't disagree that that the team could stand to sell some of those guys, but I also don't think that making any major purchases in January is the answer. Um, the team is where it is. This is not a team, as we've said, that w- this is a team that once it gets healthy is going to be decent. We're not going to be in a relegation scrap. The, the run under, under big dunk kind of, you know, settled that. Um, and, and we don't really have a ton to play for. I would much rather let some of the younger players play, let Carlo Ancelotti, who, although I have very, very significant disagreements with how he handled the Liverpool match, you know, deserves time. He has the, the pedigree and the resume to earn that. I'd much rather have him be able to evaluate the players that we do have that we don't sell in January. So that way he can make a decision over the summer when it's easier to buy players, when it's easier to sell players on what is this team? Who do we need to keep? Who should be going and, and who needs to come in to make up the difference between what we have and what we want to be? Uh, to me, that's the next step. Nothing outrageous should happen in the next you know 22 days um do i think that's what will happen i have concerns that there might be some overreaction uh, at this point but if i'm marcel brands if i'm carlo ancelotti that's my approach to the rest of the season yeah i I tend to agree with i tend to agree with all of that I, i think that as we've mentioned so many times in this podcast buying in january gets very expensive um, mm-hmm. And right now, Everton really aren't in the position to operate in an expensive manner due to the fact that FP um, regulations, um, you know, just the amount of wages we're paying these players. And I think Carlo Ancelotti needs time to figure out where the weaknesses are, what this team looks like at full strength, um, mm-hmm. and how they can perform to see what he needs. And then I think in the summer – is when he will make his big transition um, on this team. I think that there will be a lot of players on this team right now that will not be here after the summer. Yep. Um, But I think after, I think in this, I think in this, um, this month, again, there will be, like you said, probably an overreaction. There will probably be somebody that we do buy this summer would be my guess just because Um, of. Yeah. And just to, the one position that I will tolerate, you know, like a, hey, let's do something now would be to add a, a center back. I, that yep. was something that, that we said at the end of the summer that didn't get done that probably should have. If, if we bring in a, a depth center back, great. That's a yep. thing that, that is needed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Um, but I think that most of the business gets done in the summer, hopefully relatively quickly, but we'll see. We'll see that we'll, we'll attack that when it comes to that point. Um, but let's move forward. Let's move on to Brighton. Um, Brighton this weekend, I I forget, is it home or away? Home. Okay. So Brighton at Goodison, 
Um, initial thoughts about this game going into it. Um, the atmosphere is going to be very interesting to me. <laughs> I'm very interested to see what the atmosphere is like from an Everton perspective. Um, initial thoughts going into this one. Well, Brighton are kind of a weirdo team um, in a lot of ways. Uh, they they are or no Everton's eleventh. Uh, they are fourteenth in the Premier League right now. Um, but they're actually they have the fifth most possession uh, of any team in the in the Premier League. They complete uh, seventh most passes. That's uh, they're at fifty three point nine percent possession and eighty two percent pass completion. They don't generate a ton of chances. They don't generate a ton of goals, 25 goals and in, in against 29 conceded at this point. Um, but they are a team that, that tends to have the ball a lot that is, is comfortable playing out of the back despite the fact, uh, they don't necessarily have the personnel you would expect to be able to do that with. And, and I think that what you probably uh, end up with it is a match that looks something like the first match between these two teams did, which was, you know, pretty wide open. Um, it's a match that I think we look back and, and say Everton could have easily won. Um, if, if the late penalty against Michael Keane doesn't happen on what was an absolute garbage call, um, you know, Everton might walk away with a 2-1 victory at Brighton and even that aside, you know, it's, it was bad luck that, that put Everton behind in the 94th off the Lucas Dinia own goal. Um, I think this is a matchup that really favors Everton. The teams that want to play with possession but don't have a ton of talent are the sort of teams that the Toffees have tended to thrive against this season and last season as well. New manager, so new system, new approach, obviously still some injuries in the midfield. Um, but I, I think among teams that Everton could be playing uh, in a match that has the potential to get interesting in terms of what's happening at the home ground, um, I think Brighton is at the top of the teams that I would want to be playing in this match at this particular juncture in time. Yeah. Um, I mean, could be playing one of the top six, so it's encouraging that we're not. Um... And and also we've seen this team struggle against teams like Burnley and Villa that you know I, I that think, want to sit deep and and uh, not have the ball at all and say go go ahead you have the ball. Um, that's that's not the Brighton style either. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's about talent, but it's also about style. Um, and I think we're we're fortunate in this matchup in both both senses. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, this will show us, I mean, again, we have had our troubles with the bottom, you know, the the non-top six. This will mm-hmm. show us maybe if Ancelotti is, Ancelotti's teams will be able to beat those, you know, those those teams that are, you know, we should be beating really probably relatively well, no matter who we have on the field. Um, but, um, yeah, I think this, like you said, it's a little bit more open. I think it suits Everton a little bit better. Um, I'm not sure how much confidence many Everton fans have going into this one after what happened over the past weekend, but, um, you know, we will see, um, you know, we'll see it should it, like you said, it's a game in which 
Everton, you know, want to be playing. It's a game Everton, a team Everton want to be playing going into this weekend after everything that's happened. Um, lineup changes. Do we see any lineup changes? Are there any repercussions from, you know, maybe what's happened this week? Um, what are you kind of predicting? Obviously, I know you guys come out with a predicted 11 every week, but um, give me just some of the little little things that you might see differently here as we approach um, this weekend. It's it's tough because uh, I don't I don't know if we expect the the injury situation to be significantly different. Um, you know, still no Andre Gomes, still no Jean Philippe Gabamin. Uh, at this point, I wouldn't suspect that Alex Awobi is back. Um, so, you know, you can pull from from Delph, uh, Davis, Moise Keane, uh, or, or Bernard potentially, um, and, and to replace guys who are in the lineup. But at the end of the day, I don't think. I, I thought Theo Walcott was very good in the first half against Liverpool. Um, obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is playing very well. Richarlison is playing well. I, I don't think that you want to make a, a change in terms of your attacking players. So that, that takes Bernard and Moise Keane out. Uh, obviously, Shank Tosun is, looks to be on his way out the door, so I wouldn't expect him to, to enter the lineup either. Um, at the back, you certainly don't want to bring in Michael Keane. You're happy with what Lucas Dinia and, and Jabril Sidibe have done. Seamus Coleman has, I think, done very well in that hybrid uh, right center back role. So really, you wind up coming back to the source of a lot of people's frustration, which is the center of the midfield. Yeah. Um, and the major players at that position, if you assume that we're going to play a midfield two, because God knows you don't want to have to have three of those four players in, uh, is you've got Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin, Delph, and and Davis. Um, and at this point, I could feasibly see any combination of those four players, except maybe Schneiderlin and Delph, which just wouldn't be able to move um, as as the base of either a, a four four two or a, a three four three. Um, if it's me personally, I'm, I'm probably, oh God, I don't even know. <sighs> Maybe I go Davies and Delph and I switch both guys out. A lot of miles on Sigurdsson's legs over the last month. I probably give Gilfie a rest. And then really one of Delph and Schneiderlin alongside Davies, if I had to guess right now, but I might change my mind on that by the time I, uh, I write the projected 11 tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, again, as we, I think we say this all the time, especially, um, you know, over the past month, you know, it's hard to kind of make any changes with the injuries that we have. Um, you know, obviously young players could be brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we see that, but it is an option. Um, and I think the, the, key on that is that we haven't even seen uh, Ancelotti throw those guys on the bench, um, yeah. which is which is what leads me to believe that he would not surprise us by just throwing, you know, Anthony Gordon and Benny Beningami um, out there to start yeah. in, in this match. Maybe this is the weekend that we see, you know, maybe uh, maybe if Davies and, and Delft start, maybe Schneiderlin gets relegated from the bench entirely and Beningami comes in. 
you know, we haven't seen Shank Tosun's, uh, so maybe the spot that has off and on been his becomes Anthony Gordon's on the bench. That I could see um, to kind of give those guys a chance to take 20 or 30 minutes to prove themselves for a starting role. Uh, But in terms of starting those guys from the off, I just think we would have seen some of them uh, by now, and and we haven't. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, I I think – yeah, I I think think you're absolutely right with that. Um, Moving forward to, um, you know, just really kind of finishing this off, finishing this whole conversation off – Real quick, one player on Brighton that would worry you going into this game. Um, I think the the numbers tell you it's got to be Neil Malpeck, the who's been playing. He's played some as a main striker. He's played some uh, in a two. He's played some in the middle of a front three. Uh, Brighton have been a, a, a tactical chameleon this year, but uh, the the consistent has has been that that Neil Malpe has has led the line and. Seven goals in in 21 appearances. He's averaging about half an expected goal a game. He's he's underperforming a little bit in terms of his expected goals versus real goals output. But um, you know he's a guy who can get into the box, who can find space between the defenders, find space in behind a a back line that's that's not playing off sides just right, um, and will punish you more often than not when when he gets the ball in that area. Um, the issues that our defense has had has, have usually been either uh, based on committing turnovers or getting caught on the break. I, I'm not too concerned about either of those things against Brighton. Um, so so Maupay will have, mm. definitely have some work to do to, to break down a, an Everton defense that that should be able to get set pretty compactly um, when Brighton is on the ball, but, but he is absolutely the danger man, no doubt about it. Yeah. I think one of the things to look out for also is the center back pairing for Brighton. Um, obviously Everton aren't great with their set pieces, this, uh, set piece defending. Um, and those guys are, are pretty good in the air. I think one of them scored the last time we played them. I'm not entirely sure though. Um, but those guys are definitely somebody to look out for too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, First three choice uh, center backs um, are Adam Webster, Lewis Duncan, former Everton player Shane Duffy uh, combined have six goals this year. And Lewis Dunk has three assists as well. Uh, Again, I would imagine most of that probably coming off of set pieces. So totally agreed. I think that's another uh, area of potential danger that that Everton needs to be out on on the lookout for more generally. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick, before we finish this thing off for good, um, prediction. Um, I'll take Everton two to one. Um, like I said, I, I, I just think this is a, an ideal matchup for Everton right now. This is a team that needs to get a little bit of its confidence back after the last match needs, uh, needs to have something good that the fans can get behind. Hopefully an early goal, especially, would just really help to settle the nerves. Um, but I think I think they're at the end, even with the injuries, I think there's too much talent uh, for Everton uh, to to not pull this one out at home against Brighton. So I'll uh, I'll go two one Everton. 
Yep, I'm just going to stick with my 2-1 Everton score that will eventually play out one day or another. Um, oh, crap, you're right. I should not have gone with you that. You should not have picked that. It won't <laughs> but I'm going to stick with 2-1 Everton. Um, you know, hopefully brings a little bit of confidence um, and happiness back to this club after this week. Um, it's definitely been tough. Uh, but thank you to everyone for listening. Adam, thank you as always for joining me and having this discussion. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this week. And we will talk to you guys next week.